Well, good morning and welcome to Epic. How are you doing? Good. All right. You're alive. Here we go. So, well, anyways, my name is Tim Jones and I'm one of the pastors here on staff. We are so glad that you are here with us today. Uh, today, we are concluding our message series called Lost. And if you haven't been with us, uh, then don't worry, you will be able to track on today's message with no problem at all. And then if you are checking out this whole God thing, uh, then today you are going to see a great glimpse of exactly who God is. And so for the last two weeks, Trent's done an amazing job of helping us to explore who God is and his heartbeat for people, and then also exactly what matters to God. And so in the first week, what we learned is that as Christ followers, we should care about what God cares about. If his heart breaks for something, then our hearts should break as well. If his heart is moved to come towards us, then our hearts should be moved as well to come towards people as well. And so in the first week, what we learned uh, from that is basically God is spending his time trying to not find found people. God is spending his time trying to find lost people. And what lost people, a definition of that is people who are not in a relationship with God. And so we should join with God in helping to find lost people. And last week, what we learned is that God desires for everyone to be in his community. So we as a church have decided to reach out to anyone and everyone and to let them know that everyone can be a part of God's family. And so what that means is basically everyone is invited. Everyone is invited to come and see who God is. And so because God's heartbeat is that there wouldn't be any person who cannot be found. And so basically what we learned is when Jesus made it uh, kind of clear to us on why he came, in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, uh, he said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. So when Jesus was here on this earth, he didn't hang out with the religious people of the day, the religious leaders of the day. Instead, what he did was hang out with people who were not like him. And people who were not like him liked him. And when Jesus also came to the earth, he didn't call like the best Bible students to follow him. Instead, he called these 12 guys who did not like each other and did not know much about God. Because God desires that our churches be filled with people from very different aspects of life. Because with Jesus, with Jesus, we all can love one another. And so from that, what we've learned is that when we get off track from Jesus's mission, um, some devastating things can happen. Some things that shouldn't happen, happen. And you've seen it, I've seen it in churches, and people who unfortunately don't have a relationship with God have seen it as well. Because here's the problem. When we get off track from Jesus's mission of helping people who are lost, here's what happens. Uh, Christ followers, we begin to focus on our own needs and meeting our own needs rather than meeting the needs who are around us and people's needs who are around us. And that happens. And when that happens, this is what happens. When we focus on more of our own needs rather than the needs around us, we miss out on what God would want us not to miss out on. When that happens, we don't see people as God would want us to see people. People who are hurting people who have felt rejected, people who feel like they are alone and isolated and not connected to him. 
And when that happens, when we begin to focus more on our own needs, we begin to expect certain things from God. We begin to expect certain things from the church, and we begin to expect uh, God and the church to cater to our needs rather than focus on other people. And when that happens, we become a whole lot like a social club, or we become a whole lot like some kind of yacht club, which caters to its members' needs. Instead, we should be uh, like the Coast Guard. We should be like the Coast Guard whose business is about saving lives. That's what we should do. That's what we should be about. But unfortunately, we forget sometimes. We happen. It happens to us. It happens to us all the time. And when that happens, here's what we need to do. We need to ask ourselves this question. Whose business are we about? Are we about our own business or are we about God's business? And he knows that we mess up and we get it wrong all the time. And he's right there for us and he's constantly reminding us, hey, remember, remember, okay? Remember when you were not found as well. And when that happens, what he does is he sends us constant reminders because he wants us to see people just like he sees people. So today we are going to check out this very famous story in scripture. And today we will see clearly what God's heartbeat is for us. And we will see clearly what his heartbeat is for people who are hurting and lost. Now, many of you, when we turn to this uh, story, Many of you will be very familiar with the story, and you'll be tempted to potentially check out. And I hope and my prayer is that you won't check out. My prayer is that you will see this story with fresh eyes and a fresh perspective. Because if we get this story in us, it will change our lives, and it has the potential to change the lives around us. So today, if you would, if you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 4. Verse 3, if you don't have a Bible, then please get one in the back. There's tons of Bibles back there as well. If you grab one, it is on page 811. And if you don't have a Bible, feel free to take one, okay? No one's watching, all right? No one's watching or monitoring eBay uh, to see if you're selling them there or anything like that. But anyways, um, today, before we get into the story about Jesus' time, Uh, in AD 30, we have to back up a little bit, okay? So 720 BC is an important year. What happened in that year is there's an Assyrian king who kind of takes over what would be modern-day Israel, the mid part and the upper northern region and everything. And when he comes in, he comes in and he uh, conquers the Jewish people. He takes some of them and he deports them all across the nation to other locations. Then he takes a whole bunch of other people and moves them into the area to be over the remaining Jews. And at that time, this is what happens. Those people over hundreds of years start to intermarry with other people who are there and the Jewish blood is no longer pure and they become known as a people called the Samaritans. Okay. Then in Jesus' time, there's a bunch of Jews in the south down here and then there's this mid-region full of Samaritans and the Jewish people do not want to have anything to do with the Samaritans. And the Samaritans do not want to have anything to do with the Jews. And if you were like a Jewish person and you had to like go up to this northern part of the region, you would go around Samaria. You wouldn't go through it, even though it was shorter. You would take an extra day to go around it, to pay for extra expenses to go around it, because you did not like the Samaritans and you did not want to be near the Samaritans at all. And they had a whole bunch of rules on how not to interact with the Samaritans. 
Now, today's story is about Jesus, who's a Jew, and it's about a woman who's a Samaritan woman, okay? And this isn't any just Samaritan woman. This is a Samaritan woman with a past, okay? She wasn't just married one time or two times or three times or four times, but she was married five times. Now, back then, that culture, that was unheard of. And even in all our culture today, it's kind of a little bit, yeah, that's a lot of times that you've been married. And so here's what happened in that. Could you imagine being that woman? And in that moment, also, she wasn't just married five times. She was currently living with a man who was not her husband as well. So she was regarded as an outcast in her society. And we don't know why. Uh, she was married five times. We don't know if all of her husbands died, and if they did, uh, the people would think that she was cursed from God back then because that's what they thought or something, which was wrong. But then, we don't know why. Maybe they left her, or maybe she couldn't have children, and that back then, in that culture, was acceptable to then divorce a, a woman at that point. So we don't know why, but what we do know why, or what we do know, is that she was considered an outcast, and she was hurting, and no one No one wanted to be around her at all, except for this day. So if you would, join with me in verse uh, 3 of John chapter 4. So he, that's Jesus, left Judea, that's in the south, to return to the north, Galilee, and he had to go through Samaria on the way. The language here indicates that he is determined to go through Samaria, okay? Almost as if he's got an appointment. He's not going to go around. He's determined to go through Samaria. And eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Now, here's this point. The disciples are with them. It is the heat of the day. They've been traveling. It's time to get something to eat. And so he sends off the disciples to the small little village to get something to eat. These disciples are probably grumbling. They're probably complaining to each other. They're probably saying, what in the world does Jesus have us going through Samaria? He should know better. He should know what they're going to talk about us and say about us and everything. And now he's sending us to the Samaritan village. Oh, my goodness. And on their way there, they probably saw the Samaritan woman coming down to go to the well. And at that point, there's no eye contact, there's no talking, because that wasn't acceptable in the culture or anything with men and women. And so all of a sudden, she's coming down, and they're probably thinking in her mind, okay, this is a bit odd, you know? Like, why is this woman coming out in the hottest part of the day to go get water, like, Back in that culture, you got water in the morning or you got water in the evening and you did it with a, a bunch of women to kind of protect yourselves, okay? And so all of a sudden, they see this woman and they're thinking, that's a little odd, but she doesn't think it's odd because she knows that her whole community thinks of her as an outcast. And she even considers herself as an outcast. And she thinks that God potentially even thinks of her as an outcast, So for her, this was normal. So let's pick up in verse 7. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. Now this request would have shocked her. It's like if Jesus had said to us, Hey, give me a cold one, okay? Give me a brewski or something like that. You would have been like, What? Oh, Jesus, what? You know? All right? 
Now, he wasn't asking for a drink, okay, from her in our language, but what he's asking is this request, and he's talking to her. Okay, this is not permitted in that culture, okay? And what's happening is she's just seeing all these guys who kind of look Jewish that she's kind of probably thinking, and they're off to going to her village, and then she stumbles upon this guy who's almost like waiting for her at this well, and she goes up to the well, and he speaks to her. He talks to her, and she's probably thinking in her mind, okay, why is this guy even talking to me? Why is he even making a request for me? Okay, this guy looks kind of like a Jewish rabbi, a religious leader by the way he's dressed. Okay, if he's a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, we're not supposed to be talking, and if he's a Jewish rabbi, there is no way that this guy is supposed to be interacting with me, and there's no way that he should be asking me for a drink because if he's asking me for a drink, that means I've got to give up my water vase, which I've touched, and he's got to touch it. That means he's going to put his lips on potentially where I've put my lips, and that is like no way against one of the rules. Don't do it. That's not allowed. And yet Jesus makes this request to her to get her attention. So let's see what happens. Verse 9, the woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? So she is so surprised by this request. Instead of like saying yes or no, she is taken off guard and she gets a little fired up here. She gets a little bit rude with him because she can't understand why in the world that he's asking her for this drink and he should know better because, you know, Jewish people do not mix with Samaritans. And, woman's. And, and I think she even would have probably went a little bit further. I think she would have said, hey guys, I know exactly the way that you think about us Samaritans, okay? You have this whole classification system. And here's the system for you. You know, here's the Jewish leaders on top. Here's this huge gap. Here's everybody else. And then here's the sinners. And then here's the notorious sinners. And then here's the tax collectors. And oh, by the way, Mr. Smarty Pants, I think you've got a tax collector in your posse over here that you just saw, you know, uh, what about him? What, have you talked to him yet lately? Um, and then there's Samaritans. And then there's Samaritan women. And then there's her. So why in the world are you asking me for a drink of water? Don't you know? Don't you know that I'm out here all by myself? You should know that I'm considered an outcast. Now how do you answer that? How do you answer that question when put on the spot and somebody's coming at you like that? Now, Jesus does something amazing in his response to her. Check this out. In verse 9, or verse 10, Jesus replied, if you only knew the, what's that word? Yeah, say it again. He says, if you only knew the gift, God, that God, God, God has for you. And who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would, what's that word? Give. I would give you living water. Now, here's my gut on this, okay? And I could be wrong, but I think she's ready for a verbal fight, okay? And in the response that Jesus gives to her, I think it just stops her dead in her tracks in that moment. And I think in that moment, she starts to say to herself, there's something different about this guy. And I think it's the same thing that everyone who encountered Jesus came across in their own minds. Wow, this guy, when I look at him, and I look at him in his eyes, there's something different about him. 
He's full of love. He's full of compassion. I see that he is more concerned about my needs than his own needs. And so I think her defenses started to come down. I think she started to see his sincerity in what he wanted to give, that he was really desiring to give her a gift in that moment. Now let's continue as she kind of snaps back into reality at this point in verse 11. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? So now here's what's happening, okay? In her mindset, this is the only well like in a great amount of distance. There's no other water source out there. And so she's thinking, okay, you want to offer me something that is better than this well, some type of living water, but yet I don't know where you're going to get this thing from, but it sounds pretty good, you know, but hey, if you're greater than Jacob, I don't know, um, then I guess you can pull it off. And here's what Jesus begins to reveal to her, and he also begins to reveal to us that he's talking a little bit about something different here. Verse 13, Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Now at this point, I think she's like a deer in the headlights, okay? I think she's like, what is he saying? Okay, I'm kind of following. This is what's going on in my mind. He's talking about that I'll never thirst again. I like that. That sounds good. He's talking about eternal life. The time that I've heard that mentioned before is like, doesn't God hand out eternal life? Uh, you know, this is sounding a little fuzzy. I'm not sure exactly where he's going with this. And so she still doesn't fully grasp what he is saying. But Jesus is going to make it clear, and this is what he wants to make clear to her. His focus is that he wants to give her eternal life. And what we learn from the book of John is that eternal life is a relationship with God, that Jesus can do that. But yet, she doesn't know quite yet. So let's watch her confusion. Verse 15, please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again. I won't have to come here to get water. So she's thinking about this physical thirst, you know, she's thinking, that sounds great, I'll never have to drink again. But Jesus isn't talking about a physical thirst. He's talking about her spiritual thirst. And this is what uh, is her spiritual thirst. She considered herself an outcast. She can, she's been married five times, living with a person, and she's got a lot of hurt. And she is very thirsty on the inside. And Jesus, in this moment, is trying to address her hurt, the hurt that she's experienced from this community, the hurt that she has made in the decisions that she's made, and the decisions that other people have made about her as well. And she is hurting. And that's what he is trying to address. He is trying to meet her at the point of her need. And that's what he's trying to dig up. So um, this next verse, we might be a little shocked. We might think that Jesus is being a little unsensitive or a little insensitive in this moment. Uh, I don't think you and I would ever do this. It would be counterintuitive for us to ask her this very next question. But again, remember what Jesus is trying to do. He is trying to address what's inside of her heart at this moment. So he says in verse 16, go and get your husband, Jesus told her. 
yeah, you read that right. Wouldn't that cut her to the bare bones with that statement? Wouldn't her hurt kind of come up and bubble up inside of her at that moment? Yeah. Why would Jesus say that? Now hang in there, okay? Because it's going to become a little more clear on why he would do this. So at this point, I think he notices that she's starting to retreat. I think he gets a little more sensitive in this moment. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. And she's probably thinking, how does he know these things? I've never met this guy. How does he know my hurt? You know, Jesus wasn't condemning her in this moment. If he wanted to condemn her, he would have done that up front, okay? But he didn't. Instead, he's been gently having this conversation with her. And at this point, what he's trying to address is this thirst that has been unquenchable within her because she's hurting. And here's what Jesus is trying to do. He wants to fix the issue. He wants to help her be healed from the inside out in this moment. And sometimes we have to get really honest on what's been going on within us in order to get some help. And so she needs to say to him what's going on within her so that she doesn't continue to try to cover up what's been going on because she spent an entire lifetime so far of covering up what's been going on in the inside. And that's what Jesus is trying to address. So, of course, she kind of retreats back from this. You know, she's like, okay, you are getting way too close. I don't know how you understand these things. I don't know what you're trying to get at. I don't know what you're doing, but you're just getting a little too close to me. And I think Jesus knew that she was getting a little ruffled there, and yet he does not give up because he never gives up on us. And he will continue to gently come after us because he knows the potential of how much this stuff can ruin our lives. So in verse uh, 19, she said, Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here on Mount Gerizim while our ancestors worship? So she goes into this whole diatribe of let me get off track. Let me go down this rabbit trail. Let's argue about theology. Let's argue about something that Samaritans and Jews argue about because you got way too close, Jesus. You got way too close to me, and so now I'm going to go down a different track on this point. And yet, if we saw the next couple verses or the next several verses, we see that Jesus goes with her. He goes down that road, but yet he gently continues to bring her back. And what she's about to do, she's like pulling up her water at this point. I think she's getting her jug in her hand. She is like ready to go, ready to escape this conversation. And she says this one last statement to kind of show him, all right, let me put you in my place or put you in your place because I know some things as well. And so in verse 25, she says this, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Isn't that what Jesus just did for her? Didn't he just explain everything about her? And I think in that moment, when she said that, I think he capitalized on that last phrase from her. And in the next verse, I think he probably looked her in the face at that moment 
and he said this in verse 26, I am the Messiah. And I think in that moment, she's got her water jug, and she's ready to go, and I think she puts it down. And she knows, she knows what he's just said is true. She knows that what he has said must be the truth. How did he know everything about me? How did he know the hurt that was in me? How did he know that I thought that I was too far removed from God and considered an outcast, and I thought I could never have a relationship with God? This guy's got to be the Son of God. This guy's got to be the Messiah. And he's offering me the gift of a relationship with God, something that I thought I could never earn, something that I thought I could never have. And that's what she all of a sudden had in her mind going on. She had her aha moment that Jesus was really offering her eternal life. And it's amazing. You could imagine the emotions welling up with inside of her, and I'm sure she was about to cry, and I'm sure she was about to say something to Jesus. But in that moment, all of a sudden, here comes the disciples. Here come, they're coming back from this town. So let's kind of pick up and see what happens at that moment. Just then, verse 27, just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? And then I love this. Watch this in verse 28. The woman left her water jar beside the well, which is that symbol of her ongoing thirst. Obviously, it had been quenched, okay? And so all of a sudden, she runs back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. So here's something that amazing happens. She gets so excited. She runs back. A person who would never speak in public goes out and she becomes the best public speaker ever. And she tells the entire community, come and see a person who's told me everything about me, who's accepted me, who's offered me a gift, who's given me a relationship with God. Come and see. Come and see the Messiah. And we know it was a great reaction because all of a sudden all the people in this village come to check this thing out because they can't believe her reaction. They can't believe the way that she's expressing things that she's never expressed before in public. And so watch this. It's kind of an interesting little twist or a little interesting part of the story, but it's a really interesting point for us that we really need to take to heart, okay? So here's the disciples. The woman runs off to go tell the entire village. They're there, and they're like, okay, did he have something to eat? He's talking to a Samaritan woman. What's going on here? What is he going to do next? All right, get some food in him, okay? Like the sun is like beating down on him. He's getting a little crazy here or something like that. So give him some food and they urge him to eat, okay? And Jesus knows that they're distracted. In verse 32, he says, but Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. 
And verse 33, disciples aren't getting this. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. So here they are. They're not getting it. They think, okay, we've been off in this village with Samaritans, okay? We've been with Samaritans for an hour. We've had to talk to them. We've had to touch the food that they've touched, okay? Jesus, if you had some food, you should have shared it with us, all right? You know, we were out there for an hour with these Samaritans, okay? Did somebody feed this guy? What's going on here? So they're not understanding what's going on. And then Jesus brings them out of the dark a little bit more. In verse um, 34, he says, Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. So here's the disciples. Man, they missed it, okay? They're going to this village. They miss this woman who's coming down, who's hurting. But bigger than that, they miss out on this entire village and what's going on there. They, this village did not have a relationship with God, and yet they were so consumed with their own business, with trying to get food, with their messed up with their prejudices and their focus on their own business rather than meeting the needs of other people. And in that moment, I think they're looking up at this uh, village and all these people are streaming out and they're like, what is going on? And then these people come and they directly ask Jesus if he's the Messiah. And he is clear with them because it says that many of the people that day, almost the entire village, put their faith in him as the savior of the world. And so they had a front row seat to seeing just how much God thinks about people who are lost and he desires for people to be found. And the disciples got to see that in that moment. They got to see the very heart of God and they never forgot it. And it drove them for the rest of their lives to be about God's business rather than their own business. And so if Jesus were here or you know, we ask the question, why in the world did Jesus go to this Samaritan woman? Here's why he went, okay? His mission was to seek and save those who are lost. People who were not like him liked him. We need to like people who do not like Jesus. We need to allow people to see Jesus through us. And we should be about his business rather than our own business. Because if Jesus were here today, he would ask us this question, whose business should we be about? And just like the disciples from time to time, we get so caught up in our own business. We get so caught up with our daily routines. And yet God is asking us because he says, you know what, guys, I found you. I found you. Let's go do the same thing. Because God does not rest until everyone is found. And so he would say, come, come and join me in doing that. And here's what we need to know. When we begin to focus on God's business rather than our business, you know what happens? Here's what happens. The best people to find lost people are people who are found. And this world will always leave us thirsty. But yet when we do God's will, we will find food for our souls that will satisfy us. Just like Jesus said, doing the work of the Father satisfied his soul as well. Wouldn't we want to be a part of that? 
Wouldn't we want to help people who consider themselves outcasts to come to know him? And it is amazing what happens when we join him in doing that. Now, last year, we um, threw out in one of our message series uh, this card. We had people um, take this card last year during one of our series, and we asked them to pray for three people that they know need to find Jesus. Okay, and we had some amazing stories come back, and uh, some people had some great conversations. Some people were able to invite people to church. Some people were found, and it was really cool. One of the people that I was praying for, I thought there's no way that they're going to come into a relationship with God. I really didn't think that they would come into a relationship with God. And here's what happened. They did, and I didn't know about it until a couple weeks later. And all of a sudden, in a conversation with someone else, they said, yeah, that person put their trust in him. And it was an amazing thing. And what happens is the way that we get closer to God's heart is through prayer. And when we pray for someone else, then God allows our hearts to be changed to become more like his. And so one of the most important things that we can be doing is to be praying for people. So this year, won't you join us in praying for people who are not found. And so I think it would be an awesome thing for us to do as we do that together because ultimately we need to find people who consider themselves an outcast from God. Now next week we are going to celebrate an event and I think we forget that it's an event. Almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus came, he died on the cross, and he rose again. That's why Christianity is what it is. That's why we believe in Jesus, because he said he was going to die, and he did, and he said he was going to come back to life, and he did. And he comes, and he did that because he passionately cares about us. So next week, we want you to come. We want you to celebrate. We want you to just give him praises and celebrate our risen Savior, because he is the one who has come after us, and he does not stop pursuing us. And so won't you come next week? Please, please join with him in praying for people who do not know him. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you for today. We thank you for who you are. Jesus, we thank you that you are so passionate about finding us. And God, that you would take time to go out of your way to find this woman who was hurting who considered herself an outcast, who considered herself that she could never be in a relationship with you. God, I know there's so many stories in here, and even my story, God, that you continue to come after us and that you found us. Thank you for doing that. Thank you. God, would we continue to have a heart more like yours, and would we be about your business rather than our own business? And so we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome to Epic. We're glad that you're here this morning. How many of you guys are excited that we're on spring break this week? I think I hear some teachers out there really excited about spring break this week. For those of you, stu- the st- you students out there, we also have opportunity for you this week. We have got a um, Surge Beach Bash on Saturday. If you're looking for something fun to do, on Saturday night at 5 o'clock at 6th Street South on Flagler Beach, it's going to be a fun bonfire and food and games. 
Um, students from Palm Coast Community Church are going to join you guys. So it's going to be an awesome time. There's going to be a, a cool T-shirt prize for whoever brings the most friends. So round up your friends who are looking for something to do at the end of spring break and join Surge on that night. It's going to be an awesome time. If you've been coming to Epic for a while and haven't yet connected into one of our group environments, um, I encourage you to check out our Starting Point and Next Step intro, which is coming up on April 14th. It will be after each service for about 20 minutes. And at those intros, you'll just hear a little bit about these environments. We encourage everybody to start at Starting Point to get connected into a group because that's where we believe life change happens. And Starting Point is a great place to check out the story of God. And it's a great place to ask questions if you may be checking out Christianity and what God, this God thing is all about. And it's a great place to just to begin in community as well. And then for those of you who've been through Starting Point, next step is our seven-week conversational environment where we explore further the journey to becoming like Christ. And we talk here a lot about the 5G life, and we'll talk about that process. So if you are interested in joining either of those environments, come to the intro on the 14th. And if you would just sign up online at theepicchurch.com to let us know that you are coming to one of those, that would be great. Also, if you call Epic your home, we'd love for you to invest back into what God is doing here. And there's a couple ways to do that. You can give online at theepicchurch.com or at the giving boxes at the back of each section. And if you're new with us today, thank you so much for coming. This service, we just want to be our gift to you today. Um, so thank you for coming this morning. We also have in the back at the Connection Center, we'd love for you to swing by there after the service and pick up a little information packet about Epic 2 so you can learn more about our church family here. Well, we hope you enjoyed the service this morning. We are going to be concluding our um, series called Lost this morning. So sit back and check out this video. Oh, that's awesome reminder that we need to ask those who are different in our lives, those who may be similar to us, that what a, what a challenge just to invite people. And as Tim said, um, we have a great opportunity to do so this coming um, weekend with Easter coming up. People are often more open to coming to church on Easter, and so it's a great opportunity to invite our family, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers. And as Tim said, we need to be praying for the people in our lives, and then we need to be praying and asking them. And we want to make it as easy for you guys as possible, so here are some cards are all around you on the chairs. Take a bunch, and you can pass those out and invite the people in your lives to Easter next week. It's going to be a great Sunday together. And then next Sunday, too, on um, Easter, we're going to have a baptism in the afternoon at the beach, at Flagler Beach, which is going to be a great day to be baptized. So if you've put your faith in Jesus but never followed it up with being baptized, this is just a great time, great way to publicly acknowledge that you have made that decision. And so if you're interested in being baptized, please sign up online at theepicchurch.com. And then as a church family, it's a great time to celebrate with those who've been baptized, who are going to be baptized. So at 5 o'clock at 16th Street North at Flagler Beach, plan on coming out next Sunday and um, celebrate with those to be baptized. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the service and you have a great day. Before you take off, just say hi to someone next to you, maybe someone you haven't met yet. You have a great day.